Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more, each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. So today we're here with Jack Daniel. Jack Daniel is a community advocate at Tenable and also one of the co-founders of B-Sides. Jack, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you. Thanks for coming on. B-Sides has been a very influential part of my career, to be honest, over the last three, four years. Very fortunate to be involved in a number of B-Side events from attendee to actually participating as a presenter, running workshops, and was meant to help start Career Villages this year. But as we know, there's a few external things happening around the world. <laughs> yeah, the world is a little different today than what we thought it would be some months ago. It's crazy. It's like I say, B-Size has it's impacted me personally. I know so many people in the industry and the community, same thing as well. So I guess wanted to catch up with you to understand more about B-Sides, the journey, how it all started, because obviously now it's a worldwide, I guess, community of, of conferences, and we're great to hear more. So I guess, first of all, for those that don't know you, I guess, who are you? Yeah, so I'm Jack, you know, I, I, I fix things. I'm a displaced auto mechanic. I used to work on cars. I was a Renault and Jeep specialist, and then worked on all sorts of automobiles until uh, one day I ended up in the parts department where we had computers, and that's where I got exposed to computers. And some years later, I realized all I was doing was computers. And if you did computers back in the 90s, you learned about security, whether you wanted to or not. And I kind of liked that security nonsense and really focused on securing systems on a shoestring for small and mid-sized businesses, focused on security and reliability. I saw what was happening in the American auto industry and decided it was time to get out. I had some friends at Astaro, the German firewall UTM company. They said, why don't you join us? We need people that know admin and security, especially in the SMB space. Joined them, spent almost four years with them until they were acquired by Sophos. I've been friends with the folks at Tenable for a very long time. And Ron reached out and said, hey, do you want to join us? And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to join you. So I joined as a product manager nine years ago. We're a couple of days away from the nine-year anniversary. And, you know, through all of that, it was understood that I would continue to do what I had done at Astaro, which is we had kicked off B-Sides with no intentions of doing anything more than a one-off event. <laughs> but they, uh, by, the, by that time, they realized it was more than a one-off event. And, and so they've supported me ever since then, spending a lot of time, often more hours uh, supporting B-Sides than in deliverables for the, the nice people who keep sending me paychecks. So... You know, that's an abbreviated version of, of me. You know, I learned long ago when I first got into computers, I had no idea what I was doing. And I discovered user groups before we called them meetups. And there were some, you know, netware user groups and Windows user groups. And I found a couple of those. And some of the folks that have been doing it longer than me shared their experience. And I thought, this is amazing. And as soon as I learned something or ran into some nightmare of a problem with Exchange 5 or, you know, whatever thing at the time, I'd come back and say, hey, by the way, if you run into this, I've seen this, which grew from a quick thing to doing short presentations on some of the stuff I found and into longer presentations sharing what I knew because if it hadn't been for the people that I learned from sharing what they knew, I would have been stuck. And so I 
had really appreciated the value of community and learned and shared and helped people and tried to connect people with others who had like interests or try to connect people with, hey, you're a, you know, you're really good at this technology. I heard these people are looking for somebody like that, you know, help connect people to move us forward. And, you know, that keeps going. And, you know, honestly, that that spirit is not just within technology and security. I spent many years on the board of directors of a blacksmithing guild in the in the northeastern U.S., iron, ornamental iron work. And it was my skills were attending meetings, looking at budget stuff, uh, setting things up, tearing them down and sweeping. But through that, I became friends with some of the most amazing artists and craftsmen in the field. Like I, I wasn't trying to, you know, social engineer my way into it. I was just trying to contribute to a bunch of people that I thought were, you know, 20 years of my life personally and professionally. And it pays off. It's it's satisfying and, and giving back. And I've been fortunate. I've been successful. I haven't made a, a whole lot of money, but I haven't, you know, I haven't skipped meals. So I'm doing okay. And I figure uh, I owe a lot of people for that and I should pay it forward. Oh, you certainly have done. So uh, obviously the topic is B-Sides. So how, how did B-Sides come around in the first place? Spring of 2009, people were getting their messages back from Black Hat and DEF CON that their talks weren't accepted. In that year, a lot of us had come together on Twitter in the security community. And uh, instead of seeing each other, maybe at, you know, Torcon or Cansec West or, you know, Black Hat and RSA for the commercial folks and, Black Hat and DEFCON for the others or ShmooCon, we stayed in touch via Twitter. And so when people were grumbling, a few of us looked at it and saw, it's like the, the truth is that the big conferences and not always big conferences, a lot of conferences get way too much content submitted and they just can't take it all. And so that explains the bulk of it. But what we saw in looking at it were there were some interesting things that got our attention. There were things that were like, that's really interesting to eight people. <laughs> and I don't blame Black Hat or DEF CON for not doing something that will put 15 people in the room, eight of them who actually really care. Really too bad there's no place for those people to share that idea, though. And then we looked at some other things. And I'm like, man, that's it's a really clever idea. But it's half-baked. This is not ready for the Black Hat or DEF CON stage. This needs some polish. And then we said to each other, it's really too bad there isn't a place where somebody could give this, get some feedback, and turn this into a killer presentation, turn it into a killer project, a killer piece of software, whatever. And we you know, looked at each other over the internet and said, well, why don't we just come up with a place to do it? Chris Nickerson had rented a house and said, why don't we do it at the house? There's a big room they use as a wedding chapel. This was in Vegas during the week of Black Hat and DEF CON in 2009. So we made it happen. And, you know, at the time, there were grumblings about the growth of some of the conferences. The the bigger cons were starting to get a lot bigger, and people were missing the connections. And so we just made it happen. And once we said we were going to make it happen... We, uh, oh, there, there was a third class of, there were a couple of talks that we saw that's like, that's just doesn't fit at Black Hat or DEF CON at that time. There were a couple of things just like, eh, it's a little too social or that's a little bit too old school hacker psychotic. It's awesome. But again, you know, we 
too bad there's not a place for it. And so we decided to do it. And a few of us, Mike Don and Chris Nickery, the, the greater the event happened, uh, if we were going to do it, but the talk had to be somewhere where there was no press and they could make sure nobody was taking pictures or screenshots because the content was sensitive in one way or another. Maybe it needed to be sanitized before putting it in front of a large audience because people had scanned things wildly and didn't want people to discover vulnerabilities that maybe shouldn't have been scanned. Maybe there were vulnerabilities that had been reported but not patched yet. In one case, it was just somebody telling the truth about working with vendors. And as a consultant, they couldn't say it publicly or they would get damage to their business, but they wanted to share some experiences. We just made it happen. We, we had a big room that they used as a wedding chapel. It held maybe 45 people. And we had the talks. Wow. So the talks were, you know, they were, they were all over the place. The f- first talk ever was one of those kind of niche talks. But, you know, at a, at a B-Sides anywhere, you'd probably get a handful of people interested. John Cran, Jay Cran, gave a, Jonathan Cran gave a talk on basically his journey from being a penetration tester to being a manager of a team of penetration testers. And oh, okay. he just got promoted and thrown into the situation. And it's not fair to the effort he put into the talk to sum it down, summarize it this way, but apparently it's way more fun to break things for a living than it is to try to manage a team of people who break things for a living. So that's, uh, <laughs> you know, and so that's, again, you're not going to put 600 people in a room for that. However, Hopefully there's some people listening to this when this airs that they'll think, you know, I wish I had had that talk when I get put in this job or that'd be really good for my career advancement. So those sort of things. There were talks on the stuff you would expect. There were talks that H.D. Moore gave the first ever talk on Warvox. There were talks on how to make Mac actually work. There were talks on web app security. There were talks on some bleeding edge malware stuff that some folks had seen. There was some data science stuff. There was the best attended, most talked about, and most significant single session. Aaron Jacobs, better known to some as Security Barbie, uh, Barbie, she put together a panel of women to discuss gender issues in the industry. And this is July of 2009. And it was a panel that included consultants to industry large and small, political and social views across the spectrum, at least one college student, at least one attorney. And it was a lively, respectful, but believe me, they didn't all agree on things. And it was really an amazing conversation about what it was like at that time to be a woman in the industry and the assumptions that were made and the challenges that they faced and the opportunities. That one had so much demand that that was one of them that drove the demand for more B-sides after we did what we thought was a one-off. There were a couple of things that came out of it. We had an open call for papers and we had a few sponsors that covered a lot of the expenses and we put out a tip jar and people threw in what they could afford. (laughs) And, you know, it was in a house. So if you weren't interested in the talk that was going on, you could go jump in the swimming pool or go into the, go into the kitchen and grab a refreshment. And by the second, by the second day, people were running upstairs to have conversations on the side not really a formal second track, but there were a lot of lightning talk sort of things. There were in-depth conversations around the swimming pool and around the barbecue grill. And people loved it and wanted more. And so one happened in Mountain View, California. That evolved into something else. Then one happened, uh, we made one happen in San Francisco near the time of the RSA conference. 
in February of 2010. And then 10 days later, a friend of mine and I managed to make one happen in Austin, Texas. And then a few months later, it was Boston and Denver. <laughs> and then we were back in Vegas and looked at each other. The three of us looked at each other and said, apparently we've done something. <laughs> and we had no idea what we had done yet. You know, it was, it was really amazing that it had just exploded. And, you know, the name, there were a few different names that kicked around and we, we came up with the idea of B-sides, the, in the recording industry idea of a B-side, you know, the, if you're, if you're ancient like me, the, you would buy records 45s with a song on each side and the A-side got played on AM, that was hit okay. radio. And then the, the deep cuts where you let the bass player prove they were really a musician, you know, on the B side or whatever stereotype you want to play with. But, you know, that was, that was the musical deep tracks tended to be B sides. They were not for everybody, but they were often more intense. And so that was, uh, that was the name and it, it stuck and we, we took off from there. And if the three of us sort of managed it loosely, but it's been very decentralized from the beginning. The rules are pretty simple it's highly decentralized. It's not like doing TEDx kind of thing, which has a lot of rules to maintain the, the brand standards. You know, we believe that B-sides are at their best when they are done for the good of the community and reflect the local community and local organizing team. You know, the, the event in Las Vegas feels like a Vegas event. You know, the event in San Francisco, as you would imagine, skews younger and a whole lot more developers than you get in Vegas. There are a lot more government contractors in, in Washington, D.C., and I'm sure, you know, Canberra is the same way. If you go to a government capital, you're going to get more govies. Uh, if you're yeah. in, uh, you know, if you're, you know, wherever you are, it feels like whatever it is. And the, the idea just took off. It's relaxed. It's largely... There was a, a nonprofit corporation in the early days. It's been evolved into something else now. And it's managed, if you will, by me doing cheerleading and mentorship and administrative stuff. But there really isn't a governing body other than the community itself. The, the community of organizers is where we go with questions about the future and things like that. The, the rare conflict resolution issues go there if I can't pretend to be a nice old man and smooth them over. But it's been amazing and it's, I, get, uh, I get way too much credit for it. I've spent, you know, the past decade plus being a sort of mentor and a sort of cheerleader and doing administrative stuff on a wiki we all wish we could move off of, but now there's too much history there. But it's, it takes tens of thousands of people to make this what it is now. And what it is now is a, is a global movement that's been in every continent, but Antarctica, there have been 611 events last count. Now, this year, several of those have been virtual only, which is fairly new because we always wanted people to gather locally and, and meet local people. But, you know, dozens of countries, almost 200 cities last time I counted around the world. And some do it once or twice and some several have hit their 10-year mark. And like I said, it, it just varies dramatically. The events reflect the local community and they just take off. And we all have this brand that we love and have put work into. And like I said, it takes tens of thousands of people because that connection, and you talked about it a little in the beginning, you should feel welcome at a B-Sides. And if you feel welcome, you engage in conversations and you feel like you're part of the community 
And then you feel like you want to help make it a, an even bigger thing. And so it takes, you know, it takes those of us who have put, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours and more money than I want to think about into it. But it also takes those people who've never been to a conference, not really sure what it is, but they say, let's give it a try and join for the first time because that fresh blood is, you know, fresh, fresh ideas. People that are learning things that some of us have known for decades still have a unique perspective. They have a unique voice and a unique perspective. And that's part of the beauty of this is, you know, my experiences with using, you know, in map to do things, which was invaluable as a email admin decades ago, people are fighting different battles with that now. There are new perspectives, new voices. And so things that may seem old hat to some of us that have been doing this a long time, I, I think B-sides are at their best when we bring those new voices in and like, I never thought of it that way. Well, that's because you're not a 23-year-old fresh out of college who's never faced this <laughs> and are looking at the world through, you know, bright, shiny new eyes. It's been an amazing journey, and it's, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to have been able to be a part of it. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company, where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send, on average, two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, well, I guess part of it is a bit of an understatement, but it's definitely been a journey. And you touched on... I guess about thousands of hours and obviously that's collectively a lot of people but just to give people some insight because I've I guess over the last year or so I'm quite fortunate where I've been involved I guess on the other side sort of reviewing papers and, and helping organize things and to be honest that was an eye-opener I guess just from your perspective what goes into organizing events so how how soon are you planning it and and what really does it take to, to actually get a conference up and running Anybody that's interested in running an event for the first time or taking over an event, I'll, I'll offer that too, is we, we have a call and discuss what the rules are and give some advice and answer questions. And one of the things that we always say and have been saying for 10 years now is if you want to do an event, you should do it. It should be fun. If you're not having fun, it's okay to be frustrated occasionally, but you should be having fun. You know, life throws enough at you. And we've been saying this before COVID-19 and political and social turmoil. If you're not having fun, don't do it. You should give yourself four to six months lead time to do an event if you keep it simple. And you absolutely should keep it simple. You know, my criteria for success are based are for a community event, whether it's corporate or craft or artisan event or whether it's a b-sides you know my, my criteria for success are do most people leave happy does the core team leave satisfied maybe not happy because we tend to be self-critical but we focus on what went wrong if we leave thinking i know how to do it better next year that's a great sign most people leave happy because you can't please everyone and then the final one is nobody leaves broke you'll note that my guidelines for success are around 
bringing people together and making them happy with whatever it is you've done. No mention of how many people, how many talks, how many days, whether you had wild after parties, whether you had badges or t-shirts or any of that stuff, get some people together. And that's, that's really it. And in, in the B-sides realm, you know, what we saw in the early days is the success as sort of the keys where people were sharing interesting ideas and then having uh, and just discussing them and what that came down to, to me is as the, the alliterative triple of it was content, conversation and community. And because Chris, Mike and I were where we were in our careers, we missed the obvious fourth C which is, you know what, if you get people together and they share ideas and talk about them and you share content and you have conversations and you build community, you quickly end up having a profound impact on people's careers. And so career was the fourth C. And that is that was an oversight on our part because of where we were in our careers. But it very quickly became obvious. It's like, oh, if you know who to trust and who is hiring, you know, who has what skills and who's you know, contract is coming to the end and who's, you know, those things. And if you learn about emerging technologies, well, of course, it's going to have a profound impact on your career. And so there's, you know, the the B-sides distilled down. And really what it takes to run it is the desire to do it, a couple other people to help you make it happen, some organizational skills, willingness to keep it simple, you need to have an open call for papers, but that can be done with, you know, Office 365 or Google Forms or whatever you want to use. There's a lot of other software out there, but you you put the word out on social media and any other way you can and put it out on, push it out to newsletters for user groups and throw it out to, you know, whatever college, university, hacker clubs, get the word out that you're doing something, collect some talks figure out where you're going to hold it, which is a critical component. If you've never dealt with conference facilities, that's a whole conversation in itself. And it varies by where you are. You know, figure it out, read the fine print, keep it simple. If you get 30 or 40 people or 50 people together and do, you know, five talks over six hours in a single track, you've done a great job. And you won't be overwhelmed by doing that. And you just need logistics and read the fine print and see what things are going to cost and raise a little bit of money and don't spend more money than you have. And the next thing you know, you've done an event and you start hearing from people that it was good. You hear some constructive feedback. Hopefully you get a couple of people that come up and say, that was amazing. I want to be part of this. And you, you put them to work. You get one or two people that have a have a complaint and you can try to redirect them by saying, you know what, you're right. We could have done that better. Would you like to lead the charge on that next year? Or you should have had a lock, lock pick village. It's like, do you know a lot about lock sport? Like, yeah, some, <laughs> do you want to lead that next year? And it's not really telling them to go away, but it, it's inviting them in. And if you do it sincerely, they'll sense the sincerity and, you know, remind people it is, you know, we're, we're volunteers. And then what happens is they grow. I mean, that event in Las Vegas with all the noise that happens in Las Vegas and with the friends and connections we had, there were, you know, 200, maybe 220 people through the the house in Vegas at besides Vegas 2009. And it takes more people than that to run besides Las Vegas. Now we were close to 500 the next year, 600 plus the next year. 
650 the next year. We're well over 3,000 for the past few years and we're capped out. That's as big as the facility is. You know, Canberra, I, I think, was going to be over 2,500 this year until they had to, to cancel. But they're well over 2,000, as is San Francisco, Washington, D.C. But those are places where there are some alternatives for people. You know, the, the B-sides, B-sides in smaller towns, B-sides in the, in the Midlands in the U.K., B-sides in the Middle East and places where they get commercial events, but not things that are really about sharing, you know, besides in small towns in the U S and Canada, besides in Perth, you know, it, even as an American, I know that Perth is the other end of the world and then keep going from, <laughs> from what it looks like on the maps here. So, you know, it, it's great if you get a handful of people together, share some ideas, build some community and go from there. It really is. And you mentioned about cancellation. So I guess recording this in what are we, 18th of 17, 18th of June, 2020. So how did things look in terms of sort of the, the COVID world we're in and, and maybe post COVID in your opinion? Yeah. So B-sides in San Diego, California happened and then it all ended. Several of events, dozens of events have postponed. Many of them have now looked at their postponement and realized it was too soon. Some of those have decided to skip this year. Some of those have gone virtual. There have been, I believe, six or eight. There have been six at least, I believe, virtual events and a handful new starting up, a couple of them filling in voids for other events that didn't happen. The virtual event doesn't have that in-person vibe, but it does remove the barrier to entry. It does mean that the folks in, in Porto and in Portugal are holding their first event and it's going to be online and they're really focusing on the local college and university community, but it's open to the world. People can see what's happening with that community and some others adjacent. The same thing with a lot of other virtual events. So it means that you can be on lockdown wherever you are, whether you're in, you know, Islamabad or Perth or you know, Jacksonville, Florida, where I am, you can, you can, you can join in and see what these things are. And they're smaller and, you know, a lot of, a lot of efforts going into trying to make them conversational, figuring ways to connect with people. And it's a good way to, you know, keep this going. It has some real advantages, also has some real disadvantages. There's a lot of work if you get beyond a couple of tracks and in trying to manage a lot of streams trying to handle getting people in and out and technology issues and connectivity issues and things like that. But if you keep it simple, which people should, it, it's great to be able to do something. A few events are starting to think that they're going to make things happen. And I hope that they're right. Unfortunately, in the US and a few other countries, but in the US in particular, the UK is not doing great either. We really, people are talking about a second wave, but we really haven't cleared the first wave. We haven't, you know, we haven't, we haven't broken the crest completely. So it's looking like a lot of things are going to keep canceling. And so people will do things virtually. They'll push them out six, eight months, push them out a full year, and we'll, we'll see what things look like in a year. I think that small local B-sides will be the first to come back. I'm, I'm terrible at predictions, by the way. So, you know, <laughs> I, I just, I, <laughs> I am not a futurist. Um, in my history talks, I haven't talked about Willis Ware because he was. I am not. Won't hold you to this. But I think that the opportunity that I see is for 
really focusing on the smaller community events, the local events where, you know, even if it's 12 or 15 people getting together in the back room of the pub, you get to see people that are in your town. And if your town's relatively clean, you'll feel okay doing it, you know, and maybe you'll push the tables a little further apart, but it'll connect local people and reconnect local people and, and help build those local communities. And then from there, start to build up. And honestly, the idea, the idea of going to an airport, getting in an airplane, flying across the country, or, you know, like I should have done right now, I should be just outside, I should be in a, in a Vila, Spain, outside of Madrid at a conference. The idea of doing a transatlantic flight doesn't really appeal to me now. Mm-hmm. I am old enough, I'm, I'm old enough that I'm in the target demographic for having a bad time, so I'm not going to risk it. But the idea of going to some place with tens of thousands of people right now, especially, you know, that airplane ride from here to there, just no, (laughs) no, I'm not interested. So the ones you can drive to, the local ones, I think are going to be the first to come back. And I hope that people take precautions and don't make them hot spots like uh, some of the things that are happening as bars and restaurants reopen around me. But I really think that's an opportunity to reconnect the local communities, get back to that really basic thing. And then it'll eventually build up. And people that are young and strong and not worried about it, or people that have got a, you know, once we have a vaccine and we have some faith in that, or people that have had it, and we once we know what the antibodies mean, I think people will start venturing out. And I think that that's really going to be good for B-sides as they grow from the, the smallest ones to the mid-sized ones. And I think some of the bigger ones are going to be smaller ones for a few years as people are cautious. I, I think that, you know, some, you know, events that have pull in a few hundred people to several hundred are going to do a lot better in a few years than events that pull in 20, 30, 50, 60,000 people. It's one thing to, to go somewhere where you can spread out. There's a chance of, you know, leaving the the conference hall and getting air. But the idea of, you know, 50,000 strangers descending on San Francisco. I don't know about that. That doesn't really sound inviting. (laughs) There's going to be some limitations. Yeah. And, you know, 40,000 people at DEF CON with the stereotypical, which is the minority, but they're an obnoxious minority, people who need to be told to shower regularly. Um, (laughs) That's just not a thing that appeals on the upside for them. They're probably going to be spread across a few hotels, so we don't know what's cooking. But It'll be interesting to see. I'll probably be wrong. There'll probably be, you know, 70,000 people at RSA next year, and I'll be proven wrong once again. But I'm used to being bad at predictions. But, you know, my take is the smaller events, besides in particular, but a lot of community-centric stuff is going to be where people feel the most comfortable at first. And I don't, I, and I see that as a good thing. Yeah. I think the, the online conferences help at the moment. Obviously, it feels a void, but you can't replace that human interaction just you know sitting down chatting with people and just getting to know new people yeah yeah that is that absolutely is and that's really hard to do online i have found a couple of events that are social and they're you know they're usually zoom but they're they're some sort of platform and it's you know 15 20 to 40 50 people in a social setting they tend to revolve around beer or cocktails or something, but draw people out of the security community. There, there are a few of them around and they're a lot more sociable and 
those I think keep a better vibe. And there, there have been a few others. This is just a couple because I'm a, you know, cocktail enthusiast and amateur <laughs> bartender. Those are the ones that appeal to me, but every now and then you find those. The thing is it doesn't scale. You know, the, the ones that work well uh, generally have this invited group of people that it starts with. And then like speakeasy, you can invite somebody in, but you're responsible for how your friends behave. And that's a model that lets it grow slowly and organically and takes a lot of overhead to keep the jerks out. But as far as a conference, it's really hard to get that that sense of community. And it's really hard, you know, what is what people are trying a bunch of different things for to varying degrees of success is that follow-on conversation with the presenter. I think that's a brilliant idea. You know, about three years ago, I did this thing and it didn't work maybe you want to pick it up and run with it or, Hey, you're going to hit the wall on this. You might try this, you know, those sort of conversations, which often accelerate a project or an idea or a bit of code, those things don't happen as much because it's, it's not the same And the, the, the career stuff, it's still possible. There are virtual career fairs, but not near as many as I would, I was like, they're, you know, besides Las Vegas, we have so much pressure for recruiting that we spun off a full two-day career development track years ago. And it's, a, I mean, it's career development. It's not just recruiters. We, we keep the recruiting teams in that track to, you know, minimize the, the noise in both directions, the people that aren't interested in talking to recruiters, but also to keep it quiet on for the conversations. But they're there and what often happens is people will see an interesting talk. They'll go in, you know, hiring managers go to these things. They're like, wow, this woman knows her stuff. And boy, I could use her on my team. And after the talk, they hand them a business card and say, can we talk? <laughs> I, I lost one of my team leads at B-Sides Las Vegas that way because somebody saw just how hard he was working and said, you know, you're, you're busting your tail here. What do you think of this? And he was all excited. And I said, you know, we're looking for excited, engaged people. What do you do for, and he told him, and the next thing I know, he's got his dream job and he doesn't help me run the network anymore, which is <laughs> fine, right? You know, <laughs> one of our big sponsors got a killer key employee and one of one of my dear friends got a, his, his dream job. Those are harder to do online, but, you know, people are still trying. We're figuring this out. And I think that, the main goal is to not screw up too badly for the next year or so until we start to know enough about this pandemic to know what is actually safe and start, you know, lifting pints together and and hanging out at tiki bars in Vegas and sneaking down to the swimming pool to have a conversation about where your career goes next in person. And so for now, we have to kind of keep the fires lit, but not burning bright until we can uh, do that again. Perfect. Well, I guess let's see how we go. None of us can predict what's going to happen in this COVID-19 world, but hopefully we can make some progress and, and get back to some sort of normality in the coming months and year or two. Yeah. Time will tell. Jack, th thank you so much for your time. It's been really insightful and, and so great to hear about the journey. And wow, like, I've learned a thing or two and it's, it's amazing that I feel like I'm sort of part of it to a degree, even though I'm not, I guess, yeah. been an organizer. But it's just, like I said in the beginning, it's been influential in my career and I know so many others. And awesome. It's, I love hearing success stories, large and small. 
I love hearing that people have been connected. Uh, you know, when you're when you're dealing with a wiki that is a bloated nightmare, and you're dealing with people who are frustrated because of the state of the world now, and you're trying to keep track on all sorts of administrative nonsense. When you know, when you see and hear that what you do makes a difference, it it's an amazing drug. It's pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, for, for folks that want to know more, I suppose I should do the, the plug thing, securitybsides.org. And for the record, the, comp- the host that we use doesn't support TLS on custom domains. So you'll redirect to an HTTP site. And if you're a web developer and want to move tens of thousands of files and thousands of pages, yeah, let me know. Info at securitybsides.org is the the core team, which is mostly me these days, because I have the luxury of a job that allows me to do it, not just allows, it encourages me to do things to make our communities better and stronger. And so I have that luxury. So uh, I really appreciate you reaching out. And I'm glad to hear your personal story of B-Sides, but it's, it's, I'd love to share what we as a community of tens of thousands of people around the world have accomplished. I really can't wait to see what comes next. I'm not sure what it looks like. As I said, I think we we start building small and and climbing up again and look forward to uh, seeing people at B-Sides wherever they are and really appreciate you uh, sharing your experience and reaching out to me because obviously I love to talk about B-Sides because it's it's an amazing journey that I've been on and really humbled to be part of this journey with so many thousands of people around the world. Fantastic. Thanks, Jack, and have a great day. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest, and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.